This week we read The Adventure of the Noble Bachelor. A.K.A. Mr. Holmes, help, I've misplaced my wife. Welcome to the final pod one, the only Sherlock Holmes reread podcast that is open and upfront and transparent about one of its hosts being a Dracula, but not about which one. I'm your co-host, Casey, and uh, joining me is my co-host and the executor of my will. Who is that over there? Oh, this is Nicholas Cohen, and I was unaware that that was my job, but I will happily, I will happily mm-hmm. execute you. I mean, your will. Uh, wait. Wow. <laughs> I think I might have checked the wrong box. <laughs> wait. Let me get with my notary on that. <laughs> Celebrated local cat, Denmark J. Cat, where are you? We need to go over this. What's thing. a little murder between friends? Well, that's a successful podcast, if the internet tells us anything. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yes. um, all right, so this episode we read, we did not read The Three Gables, as we oh, originally said right. we were, we were going to read. Yeah, I, I got a text while I was at work uh, about to start that book, and the text uh, read, to the best of my recollection, uh, Yo, dog, turns out we can't read this story because it is hella racist. <laughs> we can't read this story. Yeah, so the th- I... As I said in the last, like, to, to give myself a, I totally forgot about this story. I yeah. have, I did not remember it at all. And I, it was probably because I just blocked it out because it was, it's extremely racist. There's, it's, we're just, we're not even going to mention it. It's so bad, but don't worry about okay. it. it. We will read all, right. all of the Sherlock Holmes stories except this one. <laughs> well, and, and see, that confused me. I had actually, I actually had to buy another Holmes omnibus on Kindle because the one I got, which advertised itself as the complete Sherlock Holmes, didn't have that one. Mm-hmm. And I thought I'd gotten ripped off, but no, it turns out they just said, do we need this racist story <laughs> in our book? And they really made an executive don't. decision that I respect. It was the right decision. Yeah. yeah it it's, was a good call. Yeah. Um, some things do not deserve to be commemorated by history. And that's they one of them. They do not. So yeah. So instead, uh, I went to, the adventures of Sherlock Holmes and I was like you know what I remember most of these for sure uh, mm-hmm. so uh, I picked I just picked five and had you pick a number and it was five so we landed on the noble bachelor which was so much better of a choice this this story rules it's hilarious it was a lot of fun but it was also kind of some bullshit in a way that we'll talk about in in a little bit but it's, I mean that I mean that in the best way it's literally just like it, it kind of I got halfway through it and it reminded me of like I've never watched Friends but what I imagine an episode of Friends might be like like it's very sitcom yeah, in a way that a just literally if two people had just talked to each other none of it would have happened <laughs> Yeah, no, this is, this is if two people who were unfamiliar with Sherlock Holmes had been charged with coming up with a Sherlock Holmes story without much understanding of how the character actually worked. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes it sound like we didn't enjoy the story. We did very oh, much. Wholeheartedly. Both, both sincerely and ironically. So yes. let's, let's get into this. It starts out, as it always does, uh, with Watson. He mm-hmm. is bored as heck and reading all the papers. The rainy, inclement weather in London is causing him some pain. And I had a quote here. The bullet which I had brought back in one of my limbs <laughs> one of as my a limbs, relic from my... I wrote down the exactly. exact same quote because this is another one of those things where 
Doyle forgets yep. where, I think I mentioned this before, where Watson gets shot. I think in Study in Scarlet, it's his shoulder, and now it's, and then in another uh-huh. one, it was his leg, and Doyle's just like, fuck it, what, he got shot, you, you, we don't need to know where. <laughs> Wherever I got shot, <laughs> it, it was painting me some. Yeah, which is hysterical, <laughs> but yeah, dead. so, um, anyway, go on. Well, no, and that was that was just a really fun little wink mm-hmm. at the reader that shows I, I I don't think Arthur Conan Doyle was taking these too seriously <laughs> at this point. And that's another thing. So, like, this is way down the line in uh, Doyle's mm-hmm. career writing these, right? This is a much later yeah. story. And I think he's very aware that he's writing a Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. story as opposed to the first couple books which were just, hey, I've got an idea for this character let's put him together and have him solve a mystery this is this is much more like late season, next generation when Picard's character has gelled and they're like, okay, how do we write an entire story around this one guy? Right, there's a brand now. That's what I meant yeah, there's a brand, there's an mm-hmm. aesthetic so Holmes comes in, he accuses Watson of reading the papers diligently of late and Watson just says it looks like it, because someone has taken a level in sass. <laughs> After you live with Holmes that long, I imagine that you would have to. I mean, Watson's already a bit sassy, yeah. but Holmes just brings it out of him even more, I think. Yeah, as a self-defense mechanism, yeah, I think. Yeah, honestly, think they've, uh, they've got a really good rapport going on at this point. It's very it's very married couple and cute, I think, in my opinion. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so Holmes gets home, and he's like, oh, you've been busy, and Watson's like, yeah, I've been bored, i got nothing else to do. And... Uh, Holmes is like, well, that's good because I've got something going on. And uh, he, the beginning of the story is just drowning in newspaper. Basically, the whole in- mystery is introduced by just you, the reader, reading this article about mm-hmm. something weird that has is going on with some posh rich people. And we've got so basically, it starts. Out, I'm gonna just pull my book over here. Yeah, increasingly suspicious newspaper yeah. notices about this about this married couple. Increasingly sparse and increasingly mm-hmm. vague. Well, and what's interesting is that's a social convention uh, that we don't really have an analog for, is that at the time, getting married was, A, not so much about, hey, I love you and I want to spend the rest of my life with you, but this is a really good social and financial match for the two of us, so we should consider binding our houses together. And, like, not to pass judgment, (laughs) like, whatever, but it was was very much, we need to be seen joining our houses together and this thing. So there was was a real social, these people got married, this is why that's important. It it was more of a financial aspect than anything else you know well and there was an aristocracy to consider there were there were titles and inheritances mm-hmm. and heirs and kind of and stuff that america doesn't really have equivalents for not which really does, at all yeah yeah which does lend the whole thing kind of an exotic flavor um my missus uh was obsessed with princess diana and still followed the whole like the oh, new geez. royal babies <laughs> the new royal marriage all of that and she like yeah. I don't get it, but she doesn't get she doesn't get Dungeons and Dragons. So right. who the hell am I to talk? But um, she says that there's just this because America doesn't have royalty. We are kind of obsessed. Yeah, with it the a appeal bit. is just that it's so different from anything that we have it here. Is. It's like people get rich here, and that's sort of the same thing. Where it's like yeah. our royalty is basically just celebrities, but there's no bloodline or exactly. anything related. It's just like oh, when two celebrities get married, that's they're like. Uh, that's kind of a thing and that's the closest we can really get to but there's no history really behind it there isn't and and i think i think part of it is that in america the idea is that you are made of your actions and that if you're rich you probably deserve it which is not true i'm not saying that (laughs) yeah i'm saying no but there's definitely i'm saying that's the perception like yeah cool because that's the idea was that if you want to come to america you can come to america you can work hard you can become rich asterisk if you are white and male and we're rich yeah yeah no exactly 
exactly. But uh, we look over at royalty and inheritance and bloodlines and all that, and it seems kind of like magical and natural. Like, well, they must be special if they're just mm-hmm. born that way. But it's really just luck when it comes down to it. It's oh, it's honestly absolutely just luck. if you're born into the right family, you'll have money. And if you're not, sucks to suck, I guess. But in America, it's like, oh, you have this, there's this kind of like idea that sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not where you can make it, TM. And, you know, kind of like earn your own wealth, but, and sometimes it's, you know, and again, but there's also many levels of just like privilege and et cetera, and it's complicated, Correct. but. That, ha- that has informed our, our entire view on the right. entire concept. And there's, there's a big conversation in, especially in uh, modern fantasy literature about how so much of fantasy literature is about the restoration of monarchy, which, um. You know, you could you could blame Tolkien for a lot of things. I'm not going to, but he is sort of the the trope codifier for the literal return of the king, and about how that was symbolically, you know, the restoration of Gondor, mm-hmm. and uh, and how that kind of put a very broken world, not put it to rights, but at least fix a, a lot of the wrongs right. that were going on. And like monarchy, monarchy is kind of an inherently bad thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. Like one person should not have like. You know, uh, all that power. It's, what is that, uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? Yeah, I mean, it rocks absolutely too, <laughs> but that's, that's not great for the people who don't have yeah. it. And of course, part of, part of that is, and I, I, I don't mean to sound controversial, especially after we just barely got away with our LDS church episode the other time, but oh, like. gosh, yeah, I know, we were like, we were walking on some glass there. We really were. Uh, we tried very hard. We hope we didn't upset anybody. Uh, we love and respect all of you. Uh, mm-hmm. That story was difficult to navigate with those topics. Yeah. But, like, part of it is Christianity, because you and I went to Christian school. We know that there's this whole very real restoration of God and the Christ as kings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's this this sense of royalty and monarchy and crowns and thrones. The symbolism is very strong yeah, there. the kingdom of God. Exactly, yeah. yeah. The keys to the kingdom, the binding and unbinding of the gates, it's a whole thing. Yeah. And I think that's really wormed its way into the subconscious symbolism, mm-hmm. um, especially, you know, you talk about your Arthurian myths and stuff like that. And uh, I frankly am amazed, but not surprised about how far off track we've gotten already. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking that I was like, man, this is fascinating, but like, maybe we should get back to the story. I don't know. I don't want to interrupt you, but. And that's the thing. There's not a ton to talk about with this story. I mean, there there is in that we're going to find things to make fun of and enjoy, but, like, almost nothing happens in this story. This story is characters talking about stuff that has already happened. Dude, honestly, this story, if anything, is just a good example of a bunch of things Conan Doyle does well that are funny Mm -hmm. in one story. And, like, the mystery itself is extremely simple. It took me, like, 20 minutes to read, and, you know... It's barely <laughs> and it was just like it's honestly just a laugh he really doesn't make any points here other than like oh sherlock no. holmes is cool here he is doing his it's thing it's just LOL. some shit that happens you know so i'm yeah. honestly glad we're getting off topic so much because nothing really goes on in this story but we should talk about it anyway because this is technically yeah. a sherlock holmes podcast i guess i mean well, <laughs> yeah, legally so a letter arrives from uh saint simon mm. who is the fella who is a part of this uh, marriage about which Watson has been reading so very much. The poor chap, what, wife's gone missing? Exactly, yeah, a wife done gone missing. And uh, in the letter from St. Simon to Sherlock Holmes, you know, pleading for his help, help, help me find my wife. Where is she? I don't know. I should have installed the find my wife feature, but here we are. Lestrade is apparently already on the case, but this is so great. (laughs) I love Lestrade so much. (laughs) Me too. He's so good. He's so good. He's trying so hard. He's on the case, but... 
<laughs> he doesn't object to Sherlock Holmes joining him in the case and admitting that, quote, he might even be of some assistance. <laughs> Adorable. Oh my god. Yeah, there's a, like, line where, I don't know, he says something where, like, oh, there, there's even a point in here where later on in the story, Holmes says how he's like, oh yeah, yeah, I know what's going on, and he gives a little explanation, and Lestrade just, like, Lestrade basically just implies that Holmes is nuts. No, he doubles down. That's his, yeah. that's his standard yeah. deal. And he, he's 100% certain that he is correct and that Holmes mm-hmm. is wrong in the same way that, like, when a dog hides its face behind a curtain and is absolutely sure that you can't see it because its <laughs> eyes are covered. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, they're reading about the incident in the letter, and Watson basically says, oh, yeah, I totally remember when this happened, when this lady went missing. I just didn't tell you about it because you were on a job. And Holmes says, ah, the Grosvenor Square furniture van. Yes, I'll mention that in passing and never explain it because I am a delightful mystery. <laughs> it's just, there's there's a trope uh, called the noodle incident, mm-hmm. which is uh, a callback to Calvin and Hobbes, I believe. And it's just something that's referenced in passing and it is never, ever explained because otherwise, uh, where's the fun of it? Right. And I think that's another another sign that at this point, Doyle has realized oh, these are Sherlock Holmes stories. Mm-hmm. So at least at least once per episode, he is obligated to mention, ah, yes, the case of the vulcanized varicose veins. Yes, that was a good one, wasn't it? <laughs> right. Yeah, just to, like, just to refresh the reader that, like, this is a detective and he does he does other, th- like, mysteries in the meantime, other than just the ones yeah. I'm talking about. There's, there's certain mysteries that we can't talk about because they were too important or, like, there's, and then later on too illegal. Watson will be like, oh, enough time has passed. There's enough distance between yeah. this last case that I can talk about it. We solved it a long time ago, but I can only talk about it now. This whole thing feels like he was making fun of himself a little bit in a kind really of. human, self-deprecating kind of way that mm-hmm. I appreciate a lot because Mm -hmm. very few we talked about this you know very few writers who stick with a creation for like this length of time uh arthur conan doyle agatha christie very few of them like intended i'm gonna write this story and this is gonna be my keystone character and this is what's gonna define me forever like nobody means for that to happen right and so the awareness like jim butcher who wrote the dresden files which i love with all my hard black little heart <laughs> like he wrote the first book because a literary a literature professor when he went to college um told him to write like a like an urban fantasy detective story and he wrote the first dresden files book specifically to prove that that could not and should not be done <laughs> and it was great and see oh that he's God, written that's other beautiful. things he's, yeah he's written like a high like a high fantasy like roman empire thing he's written a really cool steampunk series that i enjoy a lot but like mm-hmm. this thing he wrote specifically to prove that it should not be done has come to define his career oh yeah and i think that when that happens it's just the best because it's yeah. like when someone writes something it's it's a totally different mood than when someone writes something like thinking that this is going to be their break into like this is what they're going to be known for because they're very serious exactly. about it they're very protective about it i don't know if i want to say jk rowling with harry potter is an example of that maybe would you think i don't know she didn't really know that she well she saw it getting popular and so I she think did yeah and more... she she leaned into that mm-hmm. and i think the same thing happens with like lovecraft who considered himself primarily a poet and he is the only one who considered him that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah when people were you know when august derleff and like uh robert e howard were over there including you know like cthulhu mythos references in the conan stories and and hp lovecraft he was just like but no my my poems about alien fungi <laughs> and just and <laughs> the the idea that you don't really you don't really get to control your 
your legacy and you don't get to control how your work is interpreted and what kind of life it takes on. Right, you really don't. And I think just the fact that um, Doyle wasn't protective of Holmes at all, like he honestly didn't mm-hmm. really like Holmes that much sometimes, that he was distant mm-hmm. enough from the character that he could just absolutely just joke about him all day long with no, like, he's yep. not protective of Holmes at all, at all. He's like, you can kill Holmes, you can marry, I really don't care. Write fanfiction about my characters, whatever. You know, like, That's I'm not gonna good. get mad. Um, I'm over here, like, I'm, I'm writing my dinosaur stories, like, you know, exactly. <laughs> and he just happens Yeah, he to, did the like, Lost World, didn't he? So he just happens to have that relationship with, uh, Holmes and also just be a funny person in general and it makes for yeah. just a great combination that comes out a lot in the stories and especially this one. I, I love any creator, createe relationship create creation relationship where uh, it's clear that at some points he just looks and says, oh yeah, Sherlock Holmes fuck that guy let's see what I can do to that guy and just, yeah. <laughs> just throws him into a situation. Speaking of which, so yeah. There is commentary in the newspaper they're reading about British blood being stolen away by, quote, charming invaders from across the Atlantic. (laughs) This is less than a hundred years after the Revolutionary War. Mm -hmm. And they're already talking about Americans as if they're some kind of strange cryptid. Right, like another species. Like, oh, Americans. Like, you know. Exactly. Like, Holmes even makes a comment at one point where it's like, oh, it's always nice to meet an American, you know. (laughs) I don't know. It's just, it's a throwback to a different way of thinking where, like, you know, we're... Hi, Denmark. Um, We're very much of the mind presently... You know, that the human race is one thing, and you've got all this wonderful variety in it, mm-hmm. uh, which is correct, but, but that we've, we've shied away from the idea that there are types of people for, for very solid historical reasons. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. Yeah, we don't, we don't subscribe to that anymore, but I, I'm fascinated because it's something we don't see anymore by this idea that they considered Americans to just be a different thing. And it shows, like, when they were exploring, like, Africa and India, and I say that like those were unexplored, obviously there were Native people living there, obviously Mm -hmm. I have a white man's weird, stupid colonial perspective on that. Mm -hmm. But, like, the word orangutan, or or, orangutan, I believe, uh, literally just means, like, small, hairy man of the forest or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And I love the idea that they didn't even think it was an animal. It was just like, oh, yeah, it's just Jim. He's just this weird little hairy dude. (laughs) Who lives in the forest. <laughs> I mean... And later on, all the scientists come in and they're like, no, that, that, sir, that is a monkey. And they're like, nah, fuck you, that's Jim. <laughs> Leave Jim got, alone. He's got hands. What are you talking about? That's my friend. Exactly. <laughs> Put a little hat on him and he plays the piano now. Yes! <laughs> oh, a little bow tie. Oh. Yeah. Um, anyway, God, we're so far off topic. <laughs> what are we talking about? I don't know, because I wondered about that when we started this. Like, most of these are short stories. Does that mean most of these are going to be short episodes? Nope. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely not. Okay, so, uh, right, 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 right. Charming creatures from across the Atlantic are stealing away British blood, which, if you think about it, is really just returning borrowed British blood. I know, I'm like, invaders, what are they... What, yeah. What are they invading? Like, they left. See, that's the thing. That's probably a commentary on... Like, the more we, the more we read of this British literature, the more I'm realizing that there was a strong and pervasive anti-foreigner rhetoric going on in England. And honestly, there Mm. still is. Oh, yeah. And also in America now, apparently. (laughs) Yes, apparently. Like, the Pakistani population in, in England is given just the shortest end of the stick every time, which is ridiculous because most of them are only there because England stole the country in the first place. But that's Mm -hmm. a different conversation. The point is, like, every story mentions 
that it's not even like racism as we think of it. I think we talked about that with that Poirot thing I saw where mm-hmm. like it's just if you're not British, you're bad. It's yeah. not even about what color you are. And that blows my mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's just they really like to the extreme. England is the best and everyone else is OK, I guess. <laughs> If yeah. you make sure we get our tea, then you're okay <laughs> in our book. But um, Watson is catching Holmes up on all this whatnot he missed. And he said, these are all the notices which appeared in the newspapers before the disappearance of the bride. Um, which <laughs> leads to my favorite line we've read so far, which is Holmes literally doing a spit take, <laughs> leaning forward and saying, before the what? Before the what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really loved that. You don't get you don't get much of Holmes caught unawares. You really don't, and it's beautiful when it does happen. It is when he when he gets his his own petard hoist a little bit. Yeah, Holmes says that brides often vanish before the ceremony and occasionally during the honeymoon, but he cannot call to mind anything quite so prompt as this. Right? He's like, "Wow, she this is earlier than they usually disappear." <laughs> yeah, Dane got wheels. Yeah. And again, it's like. I feel bad kind of just recounting the events of this story because that sounds, it's it, it's probably not much fun to listen to, but, like, this is what the story is. We are being told, yeah, yeah what has already happened. So there's mm-hmm. there's not really a lot of a lot of leeway there. So it cuts back to the wedding breakfast mm-hmm. when St. Simon and his young good lady wife uh, were about to be married when a challenger appears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Making claims on St. Simon's affection. Uh, she is then ousted by the wedding bouncers. The bride vamooses, uh, and the challenger is arrested on suspicion, which honestly is not unfair. Right? Yeah, no, she, she come. this lady comes in while they're at the, the wedding breakfast, makes a huge scene, like, oh, you know, uh, very upset, just like, uh, making it a big deal, she gets removed from the, and immediately yeah. becomes like suspect number one. She gets arrested, suspect yeah. number one. And it's like, you know what? She, she fair. objects strenuously to this union. And, uh, but it turns out later on she is, spoiler, a huge red herring. Yeah, she has nothing to do with anything. (laughs) She's just there to, you know, make you think that. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's, so yeah, she shows up and then I think during this disturbance or like immediately after, that's when the wife disappears. And we're just like, where did she go? And then later on in the story, uh, they find, or Lestrade shows up. And uh, I think immediately after Lord St. Simon leaves and gives his little account, uh, Lestrade shows up and is like, oh, hey, we found some stuff in the river. And it was the it was her dress, her oh, what she's seen in the park. I'm telling the story all mm-hmm. kinds of backwards, <laughs> but she's she's seen in the park with another lady. And mm-hmm. then after that is not seen again. And then her dress, her wedding dress and everything is found in the river. And they're like, what? What the heck? And then later on, we find out um, uh, when when Saint Simon is there telling Holmes the whole story, he mentions uh, something that happened that Holmes takes an interest in, which is mm-hmm. she drops her bouquet at one point, and a guy um, in the in the pew picks it up and returns it to her. And Holmes is like, mm-hmm. "What? Okay, okay." Like he's like eyes emoji, kind of like this is important, right? And but we don't know why. And the and Saint Simon and he starts to kind of like he asks him a couple more questions about, it, and Saint Simon's like, "I don't know, I don't know. It's not you know." It's not that important, probably. And I was like, all right, anyway, go on. Right. But it clearly is. Who pays attention to dames and their doings? <laughs> right. Yeah. And even, like, at yeah. the end of him giving the, uh, giving, St. Simon giving the account, uh, Holmes just kind of asks him, I think, I personally think just for fun, like, okay, what do you, what do you think? Do you have any, you know, do you have any opinion on what might happen here? And St. Simon's like, uh, well, right. I do. In fact, I think that she just lost her mind. I think that women just be weird. That's about it. You know how women are. And Holmes is like, uh huh, yeah. <laughs> Sir, I've been to college and I believe that her uterus just <laughs> pressured her brain into 
an unimaginable state of hysteria. <laughs> um, so they lay out all the all the pieces of the puzzle, essentially, mm-hmm. and then, of course, the rest of the story is watching Holmes. We see that Holmes has already put it together because he's a delightful asshole, but it's it's the rest of everybody else putting it together. So they get ready to go investigate. Holmes, <laughs> Holmes says, Do not dream of going, Watson, for I very much prefer having a witness, if only as a check to my own memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, as right. <laughs> Y'all just gay. It's cool. It's like, just, you can just <laughs> say you want Watson there. You don't need to make excuses. For real. Like... <laughs> yeah, honestly. You know. And uh, then when St. Simon arrives, um, they have their page boy open the door who's Who this page boy again that kid has seen some shit right <laughs> right like he's going all over london he's buying poisons <laughs> and like dead horses <laughs> and ancient medieval torture instruments and also lunch and uh <laughs> i just i i really want to know more about the page boy who lives with holmes and watson and what that kid's resume is gonna look like in the future right like i want a whole story just about that guy just holmes from the sidelines just from a no- just from a normal ass person perspective because watson is normal passing but you know he's not no, he's, he's really not. He's yeah. he's just different enough to to throw off the whole the whole avatar insertion aspect of the character. And right. that's, yeah, just having a normal person, he must be constantly terrified. The mm-hmm. cops must do all kinds of experiments on him. God, it's just it's really weird because I feel like that kid was supposed to come back and have some kind of importance, but Doyle just forgot he said he was there. Right? Yeah, he's he mentioned him yeah. one time and then was just like never again. Holmes must just kill page boys left and right by accident. They go oh, through him so quickly. <laughs> okay, since Simon arrives, Holmes offers him the good chair by the mm-hmm. fire mm-hmm. and uh, mentions that his last client with this sort of trouble was the king of Scandinavia, which. I couldn't tell if that was true or if that was a reference to Scandal in Bohemia and he was just, like, being subtle about it. I know. I was thinking about that, too. I was like, okay, yeah, the king. Yeah, I, I know. I'm not sure if that was supposed to be... Yeah, like, if he just changed a thing... Well, and the point is, because after that he immediately says, I extend to the affairs of my other clients the same secrecy which I promise to you in yours. So maybe right. he just... So it could have just been, like, a code name. Like, he yeah. wanted to say that, like, oh, my last client was a king, but it doesn't matter. A misdirect, matter. Like, right. He just wanted to you know, say that. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> He's like, the actual conversation is just like, I understand that you've already managed several delicate cases of this sort, sir, though I presume that they were hardly from the same class of society. And Holmes says, no, I am descending. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy's like, I beg pardon, my last client of the sort was a king. And the guy's like, oh, oh, oh my god, I have no idea. Your move, <laughs> Just casually mention that, like, oh, no, don't worry. This is... He just puts it on his business card. Sherlock Holmes, I solve mysteries for kings. <laughs> but that it does highlight something I really love, actually, which is... Like, interpersonally, Holmes flip-flops between being a gentleman and a complete jackass. Oh, yeah. (laughs) According to the story, according to how Holmes feels that day, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I really love that he is consistently a consummate professional in the context of his business and his clients. Right, he is. Like, he clearly just... It does a good job of portraying Holmes as, like, he is kind of disrespectful enough to royalty authority figures etc to show that like mm-hmm. everyone's kind of equal to him and he only cares about right. the case and how important it is but not to the point where like he'll offend someone so bad they won't want to insult him anymore like he reigns it in enough 
he has real respect for the work, right. if not necessarily for the people for whom he does it. Like when he in uh in last one, Scandal in Bohemia, when he gave when he gave the re- the king a receipt mm-hmm. for the deposit he was given on his expenses. That just that was such a cute moment, and it made me really happy. Right. Well, we we go on to get a description of uh, Saint Simon's missing good lady wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, she grew up in a gold prospecting camp, and frankly, she sounds cool as hell. She really does. I'm like, dang, I want to know this lady. She sounds awesome. Yeah, no, she, uh, she, it's really great because this guy walks in, Lord St. Simon walks in, it describes him in just like, he is just the most posh, like, stuffy British dude you can imagine. He's like swinging some gold spectacles on a chain and just all this stuff. It's just great. He is the tarot card for British aristocrat. He really is. And then you get a description of this lady that he just married and she's the total opposite. She's from America, which is, you know, known as just this wild place. And she grew up with, with like a prospector dad and just doing whatever over there in America. And it's just really, it's just a really funny, just, interesting stark contrast between these two people it is it's a great match she's this she's this real like laura ingles wilder like mm-hmm. rough and tumble brushed her teeth with a stick of dynamite uh, <laughs> cat and it's it's just great it makes me really happy for a lot of reasons i can't and i i wish we had gotten more of her in the story but i think doyle realized that he is not great at writing women and he's like why don't i just let her be cool over there and <laughs> right. not ruin it yeah exactly he's like oh no i made her too cool i can't write anything else about her now she's the detective now this story is well, about you know hattie Doran, not Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> guess i've got a kick-ass lady detective now right now, world oh my god and instead of a photograph since simon pulls out an ivory miniature of her face just in case you didn't get how bougie this guy mm-hmm. is like he, he's even above photos at this point he's just yeah we've done a carving of her paper is for poor people <laughs> <laughs> because uh nothing nothing says love like immortalizing your spouse in illegal bones mm-hmm. you know I'm sure Ivory was legal at that point, but still, we have, yeah. and that's, that's another interesting thing, is that, like, we have a visceral reaction, like, if, you know, like, if Holmes had a, an umbrella stand that was made from a genuine elephant's foot, mm-hmm. or something, mm-hmm. like, at the time, that would be, oh, well, you know, pass that down, that's a curio, yeah. that is, yeah, right. but, uh, we would, we would just have this knee-jerk negative reaction to it, and I'm just like, oh, Ivory, that was part of something's face. <laughs> I know, like, the, the, with with context, it's just like, at this point in time, we're just like, Ugh, you know, like, we, yeah. we come with animal poaching, etc. But at the time, it's just like, it was just every day. Ivory was yeah. everywhere, you know, like, you had walrus tusks, you had, all the fur was real. People were hanging, exactly. like, basically, Narwhals. like, mink scarves were just like, they were just the animal with all the meat taken out. Like, they were still head, heads attached. Yeah, my grandmother had one. She had a oh, real shit? one with like, or maybe it was Fox. But yeah, like the feet were on there, and oh I never understood what exactly it was. And we weren't really allowed to touch it because it was old and nice. But I'm like, yeah. well, what if it's supposed to keep? What are we? I don't get it. But, like, why are we? Why do we still have this if we are not allowed? To, yeah, yeah. Denmark J Cat is very upset by this conversation. Dan, come here. He's like, um, this is oh, a little bit you. upsetting for me. I am an animal. Yeah. And... <laughs> I'm sorry, buddy. We just I'm lost. A, we yeah, just lost right. a listener. <laughs> I know, yeah, we've, we're, we're really alienating our core demographic here, which is celebrated local cats. Which is cats, yeah. Alright, so, just prior to the ceremony, when Hattie was uh, hanging out in the chapel, mm-hmm. going to get married, mm-hmm. uh, she dropped her bouquet, and as you noticed before, she drops her bouquet, uh, it is handed back to her by an anonymous gentleman. She uh, gets in a snit, uh, confides in her handmaiden, and then takes the 
fuck off, mm-hmm. just like Julia Roberts in that movie I didn't see. Yep. Uh, I didn't see it yeah. either, so... <laughs> it was called Runaway Bride. I imagine it did what it said on the tin. <laughs> uh, I can conjecture what it might be about. But yeah, so... There you um, go. So that's what we have going on here, and the whole story, the rest of it is just them trying to figure, where did she go? And it's actually kind of funny, because yeah. before St. Simon even leaves, like, I think he just finished his you know, account, and then Holmes is like, all right, I, I solved it. He's like, okay, I got Yeah, that's the thing. Holmes asks him, he says, may I ask whether you were seated at the breakfast table so that you could see out the window? And it's like, yeah, we get it, Holmes. <laughs> You're an adorable genius. You've already solved mm-hmm. this. We we know. We get it. <laughs> Flora Miller, who was the woman who objected strenuously to this union, uh, later she and Hattie were seen to depart together in the park, as you as you mentioned. Right. Um, and here's the point at which I realized that if the internet had written this story... This would be the point at which those two dames would get married to each other yeah. and go prospect in California, a la the distracted boyfriend meme. Exactly, exactly. Plot yeah. twist. The two interesting women that this boring guy happens to know meet exactly. up. <laughs> would have been a better story. It would, would be, have been a great story. It would have made so much more sense. Like, we don't get much yes. about this this guy that she actually ends up running off with. But he doesn't seem nearly as cool. He doesn't. Well, and we we do learn a little bit about him later. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Lestrade shows up. He produces this bridal outfit he found near the river. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, <laughs> Lestrade was just hanging out down the river. He just like basically shows up at Baker Street, just soaking wet, looking kind of like yep. pissed off. And Holmes is like, uh, "What happened, buddy? buddy? Like, what's going on? You're you're like you're all wet." <laughs> and Lestrade's like, "Yeah, I was dragging the river, and I found <laughs> he's got this uh, all this evidence that uh, points to Hattie being a selkie Naya." or other shape-shifting water spirit who, having seduced a man of the shore, will return home to lay her newly fertilized egg. I, so that's... I want, like, a, like an alternate reality Sherlock Holmes series where everything is the same, except Lestrade is this, like, Mulder-esque conspiracy theorist who just, yes! who just like... The only, the way he goes against Holmes is not that he's stubborn and always thinks he's right. It's that he's like, yeah, Holmes, maybe that's what happened. But I actually think that she was a mermaid out of left field every time. And Holmes is like, gosh, Lestrade, you would be such a good detective if you weren't just convinced the aliens were real. So this man just admitted he stabbed this man 40 times. I don't know, Holmes. Holmes <laughs> you ever heard of the knife alien? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Pretty sure it was Spring Heel Jack. Actually. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we might have to write that oh, now. That's gosh, pretty good. Yeah, there is a series of books uh, called Warlock Holmes, oh. which I believe has Holmes being an idiot but extremely powerful wizard, and like Watson is the sort of the grounding party in that. Oh my um, gosh. I haven't read them because. They seem like a real one-joke premise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, I I can kind of see everything that might happen with this already yeah. without reading it. I, I could be wrong. It could be real, real good. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And if, by some cosmic coincidence, the author or fan of those books listens, I am not talking shit on your product. I promise. Oh, I just haven't not. read it. It sounds great. I would read it. I will read anything else. Yeah, I love... I also really personally love the... Uh, there. There is a movie that I saw... Oh my gosh, what... It's one of my favorite Holmes adaptations, and it's just so wild, and you need to watch it. I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but it has basically that same premise, where Holmes is an idiot, and Watson, who writes the stories, is the actual smart guy. He just is using Holmes. Hmm. It stars Michael Caine and, um, oh my gosh, uh... Uh, ben Kingsley, oh, and it's we'll find out. beautiful. Yeah, yeah, look it up real quick. Because I saw it a couple years ago, and I was just cracking up the whole time. It's so funny. I think it's from the 70s or the 80s or something. Okay, yeah. let's see here. Sherlock Holmes, Sir Michael Caine. Yeah, and Ben Kingsley as Watson. Go. 
without a clue. Yes, it looks like yes, that looks delightful. I might have so to go watch that good. later it's today. So dumb, but it's so good. That's pretty good. Yeah. And honestly, you know what? That that's that's actually a trope. It's called the uh, it's called like the manuscript theory or something like that, where a person writes about something real that happened but puts it in a fictional context because they know it wouldn't be believed or acceptable if they tried to publish it as a real thing. Mm-hmm. So, like, the idea that Holmes, uh, that Watson was actually the genius detective, but he was like, I don't need that kind of inbox attention that that's going right, to get me. Yeah. So why don't I just say that Holmes did all this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, that all makes through me really the, happy. the movie, there's just constant jokes about, like, people just running up to Holmes and Watson, like, trying to greet them or whatever, and then being like, who are you? And, you know, like, <laughs> brushing past him and stuff. That's radical. That's I'm gonna look into that. That's really good. good. Anyway, so what, Lestrade comes in soaking wet, and he's like, uh, you know, no, I found these in the river. Obviously, there's gonna be a body nearby. Mm-hmm. And Holmes says, yes, by the same brilliant reasoning, every man's body is to be found in the neighborhood of his wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. Lestrade is, he's just the perfect straight man he for is. Holmes. Yeah. And uh, we, we thank God for him, just taking it easy for all us sinners out there. Uh, <laughs> but he, he is, it, Lestrade is just accidentally telling Holmes the shit he needs to know to do Lestrade's job for him mm-hmm. since 1887. Yep. In this particular case. Cause like, last time, not Scandal in Bohemia, but uh, Study in Scarlet. It was when Lestrade was like, oh yeah, also, I found these pills. <laughs> and it's just, it's just unlike the key to everything. And this time he's like, oh yeah, also, I found this receipt. They wrote a note on it. The note, I think it proves that this one guy did it. Mm-hmm. And then Holmes is just like, oh no, no. It proves the exact opposite of that. But that's still very helpful. Thank you. Good for you. Yeah, and he's looking at the back of the note. Yeah. And Lestrade's like, no, you're looking at the wrong side. The note's on this side. He's like, oh, no, no, trust me. And this is a hotel receipt that lists uh, apparently a number of services and luxuries that have been ordered and paid for at a luxury hotel. And let me tell you, even with last week's helpful notes mm-hmm. on empirical currency and how that works, I could make almost no sense of that. Could right. You? No, absolutely not. I was just like, I just assumed, oh, yeah, oh, Jesus. Like, I was going yeah, more sure. off of, like, the quality of the items than, you know, the actual pricing. It was just like, oh, yeah, that, that, makes that sounds like an expensive drink. I don't know. Yeah, like, Sherry, that's a rich people thing. <laughs> Except, certainly. Yeah. 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 In in Seattle, as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Fraser. The the implication was that whoever whoever to whom this receipt belonged was bougie as hell mm. and living it up in a receipt. Right. And not in a, in a hotel room rather not in a receipt so holmes says he's got to go out he goes and does some stuff then he comes home no he doesn't come home actually in in the meanwhile Mm -hmm. some mysterious men arrive at watson's house and proceed to set up an elaborate mystery dinner without explaining themselves uh they refuse to interact with watson they refuse to tell him (laughs) on whose orders they are doing this um it's safe to assume that it has something to do with holmes but Mm -hmm. you've been wrong before (laughs) Um, but holmes holmes returns and it is at this point that it is revealed uh that holmes has graduated at this point in his career Mm -hmm. to furnishing and hosting entire dinner parties <laughs> specifically for his how i done it speeches right he's like you know what this this one this one's worth it i i think <laughs> yeah you know what i got a little i got a little of that bohemia money still burning a hole in my pocket i'm real real hungry right, like, why don't we just why not you know this is this case has been fun let's you know let's celebrate it yeah <laughs> it's great make a night of it yeah so he's uh you know he is, crack open a cold one with the boys he's really just like kicking back with this with this mystery he is, just, he is having nothing but a good time and yeah, yeah so 
he orders this, he he leaves, not obviously not telling Watson where he was going, because that would ruin the fun. Exactly. Orders all this food to his house, Watson's just looking at this like, oh, okay, yeah, that's, I'm sure I'll, I'm sure I'll figure out why this all is here eventually. <laughs> this will, this will probably make sense. <laughs> this will, this will make sense. Yeah. Um, and then they, uh, and then Lord St. Simon comes back, or no, Holmes comes back, is like, okay, I, you know, I, I know where your wife is and everything, and, okay, let's see, I'm trying to find the spot in the do you want to yep sure. yeah. saint simon arrives his missing wife arrives mm-hmm. i believe her handmaiden as well i could be wrong mm-hmm. and a gentleman with whom we are not personally familiar but who is shortly revealed to be uh the party who handed the bouquet back to hattie after she dropped it at the wedding so they all sit down mm-hmm. um holmes you know gentlemen how do we kill superman <laughs> and it appears to transpire that since Simon has been bamboozled, he has been made the very dupe foot. Mm-hmm. Um, although it was it was without any malice. Um, not that that really takes the sting out of it. You know, yeah. impact over right. intent. He's not feeling better, but at least he knows what happens now or what happened. Exactly. Nobody nobody was trying to make him look like an idiot, mm-hmm. but it still happened. Mm-hmm. And let me just say, this is the first in person interaction we have with Hattie. Uh, in this story, and Arthur Conan Doyle's grasp of American vernacular is oh my gosh, it's adorable, horribly bad. It's atrocious. He tries so it's hard. So He's good. like, oh wait, this character is American. What do Americans sound like? And then he just proceeds to butcher the heck out of it. It's great. My favorite. It's it's one of the favorite things I've ever read in any book ever. It it's. <laughs> she says she was very surprised by something, and she says, "I only wonder I didn't fall down and do a faint." <laughs> <Right. laughs> and it's just. It's, Doyle, how many Americans did you know? <laughs> I, I treated you real bad. <laughs> like, I didn't even play Red Dead 2, but I just listened to my roommate played it, and I feel like I have a better grasp of early American accents yeah. than Doyle clearly didn't. <laughs> That's about right. It's like, he was someone who was, he was trying to make a new meme in a format he didn't really understand. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's like, I've seen these Doge memes. I know how to do that. Yeah, this is This is that meme, right? You are doing me a frightened friendo. <laughs> I really don't like the Doge memes. I mean, they're adorable. I like I like all the cute doggos, right. obviously. But I, yeah, I never really thought they were that funny. They're not my favorite meme. No, they're as really, a meme they're, connoisseur, they're, they're not in, even in my top ten. <laughs> exactly. Yes, because <laughs> like the the lolcat stuff, the internal grammar and language that those work in, it, it has a certain flow to it, mm-hmm. and just the whole really really awkward choppy. You are doing me a frighten. I don't know. It does. It doesn't quite work. That's not to say there aren't some really good ones, because obviously there are. But right, yeah. But like, as someone who like talks for their dog a lot, I'm like, wait a second. That's not how my dog exactly. talks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whereas on the opposite side, uh, the Twitter account Thoughts of Dog is brilliant. So sublimely perfect. I'm like, you know what? If dogs could talk, this is what they would sound like. You're right. It's exactly what they would say. Go, go follow at Thoughts of Dog right mm. now. It's so good. Unfollow us if you have to. If you gotta make room. If you got, yeah, don't it's worth it. No, your life will be better. <laughs> anyway, okay. So, apparently what happened mm-hmm. is that Hattie and this gentleman to whom we are introduced as one Frank, because that was just the most American name Doyle could think of. <laughs> what, what are Americans called? Mm. Glonk? <laughs> Charb? Is Charb a name? Charb is probably a name. 
they they were sweethearts once upon a memory mm-hmm. in uh, the mining camp in which Hattie grew up, and they wanted to get married but couldn't because Hattie's father had come into some money and uh, let it go to his head, essentially, mm-hmm. and said, I know I was dirt poor two years ago, but now no dirt poor man is going to marry my daughter because reasons. Right, and it's like, instead of just, like, letting her have some of the money and, like, give it to him it's just like no you have to make as much money or more than me and then maybe maybe you can marry my daughter and exactly <laughs> it's like okay whatever but you have to you have to metaphorically kill me mm-hmm. in the financial sector in order to win my daughter which is some really symbolic freudian shit that i'm actually 100 percent here for but it's <laughs> it's also a, a bad way to raise your daughter and try to do right by her and like i mean there's there's the argument that every parent's first responsibility as a physical animal is to see to the well-being and survivability of their child mm-hmm. and so to that like if you were a dirt poor prospector and suddenly you were a millionaire and it's like oh shit i can afford health care now this is what having clean teeth feels like right. like if you had suddenly come into that life i can kind of see the idea that like no no no, no child you it's gonna add 60 years to your life mm-hmm. you just marry someone who is also rich trust me like i can it, it does sort of make sense like it's it's a reasonable i can see the argument from his perspective yeah, yeah because like you look at you look at fiddler on the roof which i do at every possible opportunity <laughs> it's so good but like this idea of arranged marriages and parents choosing who you are and are not allowed to marry denmark i know it's it's a very it's a very touchy topic mm-hmm. but like this idea that that tevya has six daughters and his five daughters mm. Five daughters. Yeah, six daughters. Something like that. I don't know. Give or take one daughter. <laughs> um, and like his job is to make sure that they do not die mm-hmm. if it is his, if it is within his ability to do so. And so that is the driving force behind, no, you need to marry this butcher. Mm-hmm. That way you will always have something to eat. It makes sense yeah. on a certain level. Cause like if you go back 200 years, people were dying in their 30s because they couldn't afford... You know, it's just the world we live in where it's like, no, love and only love forever. Like, <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Love, love. Love the woman I love. That's why I'm gonna marry her. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you if you go back even a 100 years, like, if she could find a better prospect than me, I don't think anyone would blame her. <laughs> You'd be like, you know what? Fair. Yeah, yeah, no, reasonable. I'd marry him too, except it would get me killed. But yeah, th- no, but yeah, there was a lot more pressure to be financially sta- like, that. that was... It was just there were just at more risk of dying if you didn't correct than nowadays. Whereas like hey, it was a survival you'll be poor, but you thing. won't you know die. But she said no. I love this man, and so I will do a secret action a marriage American style wild card. <laughs> uh, but then oh no's Frank is murdered by the Apache. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Oh yeah, that is how he dies. Which is just another great thing about how Doyle thinks America works. <laughs> People just dying left and right. There's just it's just it's just a jungle out there he went out for smokes and he was murdered by a native werewolf the only way you can die in america other than mormons (laughs) correct (laughs) it's either in in england you get the consumption in america you get the apaches God. Forgive me. Denmark is, uh, Denmark is asking out of this room. I thought he would enjoy recording with us. I was wrong. Two seconds. (laughs) He's like, you know what? I'm done. This is, this is, this podcast is too offensive. (laughs) So yeah. So Frank is murdered by the Apache. Mm Which will put a real damper on any marriage, let me tell you. Oh, yeah. Especially one in those delicate early stages. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, 
Then it turns out he was merely a prisoner of the Apaches, which there's this thing I see in fiction where writers reference much more interesting stories than the stories we get. Right. Like, we couldn't have gotten this from his perspective a little bit. Like, if the story had been, if it had been a novel, if we had had another, you know... If this had been the next study in Scarlet, you know. Flesh that out. I want to know more about Hattie and Frank. I want to know more about the gold mining camp. I want to know more about what his time with the Apache was like. Because he didn't come back, like, horribly mutilated or anything. Like, they clearly, they didn't abuse him. They were clearly a fairly hospitable people as captors go. Mm -hmm. And, like, could he speak Apache? Like, what's, how I, it's, it, it. It raises more questions than it answers, which is the key to an interesting plot point. But no, he just brushes right past it. Right, like, I want that story, just not, maybe not from Doyle's perspective. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's fair. So, then, having not died, he came to England, and he saw in the paper, yeah, saw the announcement that she was getting married, and like, they had, they had given each other up, obviously. Mm-hmm. He said to himself, she's probably married some other dude, totally fair, she's a woman, she basically doesn't have rights, she <laughs> needs to survive, I get it, no worries. Um, and she had given him up for dead because murdered by the Apache. Mm-hmm. But she makes it very clear that, like, even once she realized Frank was alive, she was like, no, I'm promised to this dude, I'm gonna marry St. Simon. Right, she, she keeps her, she keeps her word. She's a, she's shown to be, like, of good character. She's like, no, you know exactly. what? I, I already said this, I'm not gonna, you know, she, she clearly right. likes and respects him, despite them being so different. She has an American sense of honor. Mm-hmm. But then, kind of just can't go through with it, which is also understandable. Um, yeah, St. Simon's Lady Stalker, uh, who we've been led to believe was at least a part of these events, turns out, to, as we said, to have nothing to do with anything, save right. that her initials are the same as Frank's, which is what led Lestrade to think that she had something to do with this, which is honestly fair. Yeah, like, you know what, I... It, it is quite a large coincidence, but it, it really is. It's I'd really probably contrived. Think, I would see if I were playing this as like, like a click and point video game or something. Yeah, and I were the detective. I would be like, oh, d- initials match up. Okay, clearly, clearly, this is it. That's you know, I got it. That's something to do with something. Honestly, yeah. Um, yeah and then so Holmes, Holmes tracked down the receipt, uh, the hotel the receipt was from, and he he came round to the hotel. He collected these people. Hey, he said, he said, come have some dinner with me. Um, since Simon actually handles the whole thing pretty gracefully, all things considered, I think. Honestly, yeah. As as a dude who just thought his wife went missing and then found out that oh she wasn't, but she is married to another dude, he he's yeah. pretty chill about the whole thing, you know. Um, for someone who has just been cuckolded, pretty, extremely pretty embarrassed in front of his entire family <laughs> and a detective, yeah. like, and you know. It's just like, Cause I like, almost feel bad for this rich guy. <laughs> given given that we have to consider morality in context of time and place, if morality is a function of social standards and mores, like, this this guy didn't do anything wrong. Like, he's a little, he's, you know, a little bit of a racist and a little bit of a misogynist, but it was impossible not to be those things in that time. Right, yeah. Yeah, he, he basically just got the short end of the stick on this one for no reason, because shit happens. Mm-hmm, yeah, that, that basically is the whole summary of the story, shit happens. <laughs> exactly, it was just, it was just something that happened. Mm-hmm. And then, and then Holmes picks up his violin and comments to Watson that the real work 
of the evening <laughs> is ahead of them, uh, finding a way to kill the time, <laughs> which reminds us all that the true mystery is on we. I agree with this that. This story one. is is just it's such bullshit. It is. It's, um, it's such beautiful bullshit. There's there's a clear difference between stories where Arthur Conan Doyle was like, I've thought of an interesting story and I'm going to tell it. And there are also stories where he comes up with a neat little problem that only makes sense from one angle, and then he has Holmes look at it from that angle, and everybody gets to see what a special, shiny, bright, special boy Holmes <laughs> is. And they're both fine stories. They're just different. They it's, really are. Um, yeah. It's kind of just two different ways of telling a detective story. Because really, like, the first thing you have to do at, when you're writing a mystery is find out what the solution is, and then kind of tell it yeah. backwards from there. And this is definitely one of those, yeah... It's very easy to make things look weird out of context. It is. Yeah. So I didn't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think. I don't. Th- I don't think it's a good story. But I enjoyed reading. Not really. It, yeah, it was fun. That's often more important. There were a lot of good laughs too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It was a good time. It was a real. Because like when we read Study in Scarlet, especially the second half, Country of the Saints, like that was legitimately tense, mm-hmm. engaging, upsetting fiction, and it was really good. Oh yeah. And this this was popcorn, and mm-hmm. there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Oh yeah, yeah. You need that sometimes yeah. to break it up. <laughs> Here I am giving my seal of approval to one of the greatest writers who ever lived. I'm sure he'll rest peacefully in his grave. <laughs> So, let's find out what we're reading next. Uh, Nicholas, why don't you go ahead and pick a number between 1 and 60? Are we sure we want to do this again? <laughs> I mean, if you if you have, like, a reading order you think we should be going in, I am more than happy to do so. I actually kind of like the idea. I like the idea of picking a number. I like the randomness. However, mm-hmm. I think what I'm going to do is I will make a list of the... <laughs> certified not racist or upsetting Sherlock Holmes stories. That's a good <laughs> we idea. We can go and pick off of those. And, uh, but for now, I can definitely just throw out uh, an- another one off the very top of sure. my head that is yeah, what are we doing? fun. Um, the Speckled Band is a good one. Sure. Uh, there's there it's it's just weird it's just a weird one and but okay. it's fun and it's an earlier one too so you've all right got that going for it but yeah it's so a little more formative yeah okay cool so the speckled band from mm-hmm. 1892 uh do you know which collection that's in for our readers i believe it's from adventures let me double check um no it might be from uh return of sherlock Holmes. return of sherlock Holmes. okay cool All right. Well, folks, uh, you can read that for next time if you'd like, or you can just listen to our recreation of its (laughs) events later. You can find us at the final podblum on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, You can find our individual Twitters on there as well if you would like to tweet us uh, about how our opinions are wrong, because that's what the Internet is for. (laughs) Nicholas, anything else you'd like to say before we sign off? I'm good. I I like this one, and uh, I'm excited for the next one. Yeah, I'm also thinking uh, at some point in the future we might want to uh, start uh, looking at the the final problem, and which is for part of the namesake of this podcast Mm -hmm. and the the story that leads into return, the Moriarty stories, if you will. Yeah, we'll we'll do a Moriarty special in a little bit mm-hmm. and uh, use that as some framework. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Well, until next time, folks, go ahead and read The Speckled Band. We'll see you then. And make sure when you leave, you sure lock the door behind you. Oh, gosh. I knew I shouldn't have let you pick the joke. That's all right. <laughs> Bye, all our buddies. We love you. <laughs>